a breakup song that shows off a virtuoso bassist vocal chops. A legendary single from hip-hop's most celebrated producer. And an iconic 90s rap anthem. You're listening to Themes and Variation. Themes and Variation is a podcast about music and perspectives, brought to you by the online music school, Soundfly. I'm your host, Carter Lee. So first things first, a huge thank you to everybody that checked out our first episode, songs from the first album I ever bought. It's so cool to see the kinds of discussions happening that we really hope to spark with this podcast. If you enjoyed it, Please continue to share it with your friends. It means the world to us as we continue to grow something uh, very special here, very organically. So in today's episode, we're looking at songs that use the same sample. So myself and our guests each picked a song that samples the Isley Brothers' mega hit, Footsteps in the Dark. So this track has been certainly sampled across genres, but predominantly used in hip-hop tracks. So I knew that we needed to have a couple of guests that are so in tune with the legacy of hip-hop and are each making uh, music of their own that is pushing the genre forward. So joining me today are Julian Caldwell, also known as J-Swiss. He's an incredibly gifted MC that two dope boys astutely proclaimed has incessantly proven time and time again that he has both the skill and diligence to carry the torch of his esteemed idols. And Charles Burchell, a multi-instrumentalist, producer, educator, cultural diplomat, and band leader of one of my favorite bands of all time, The Love Experiment. So I live in Los Angeles now and, and used to live in New York and, and had the pleasure of making music with both Swiss and Charles on a couple of different occasions during my time there. And it was just great to catch up with them and chop it up a little bit. They both have such a deep perspective on music making. So it's just so good to, to get them on the podcast. We get into all kinds of things like what makes a great sample, how to do it professionally, the legacy of hip hop and sampling. And uh, I really think you're going to enjoy this episode. So without further ado, let's jump into the episode, Songs That Use the Same Sample. I want to kick things off with a bit of a, a wider ranging question just on sampling. What do you guys think, in, in your opinion, makes a great sample? Man, so it's funny, I'm, I'm speaking, I'm not necessarily like all, the producer, <laughs> um, mm -hmm. but I think I have a good ear and just appreciation for beats. And I think like great samples a lot of times on their own make you feel some type of emotion just alone even before you mess with it at all i think that's like a great find if something like hits you and makes you feel something i think that that's one mm -hmm. thing that makes a great sample you're just looking for that feel good right away whether it's the drum groove I, you know yeah. the track i picked is definitely just the drum groove you your guys tracks use a little bit more of the sample and maybe add to that but you're looking yeah you're just looking for that feel good right away right yeah i think that even too like i said with me not necessarily being a producer my way of finding samples might be taking a song that I enjoy as a listener and then going mm -hmm. back and finding the sample. And when I find the sample, I find that, man, on its own, like it really just strikes something, um, strikes a nerve, you know, in, in your soul. For me, you know, it's funny with samples, like how I first got introduced to the concept, I used to listen to a lot of jazz and a lot of old school music. And then as I got introduced to hip hop, and I would hear these songs that were sampling that type of music, a la Footsteps in the Dark, you know, 
I say, oh, wait a minute. I recognize that. And so sampling is kind of like this, you know, like find the treasure game. You know, it's like, oh, where do I know that from? And and I think it resonates with what Jay Swiss said. It's, it's just something that makes you feel good when you find a dope loop. It's like, oh, yeah, that just that gives me a certain feeling. So, you know, for me, I think it's like when you hear part of a song that just like it grabs you, it hits that emotional chord. And, you know, when you loop it, it's just, it just, it fits. It makes somebody want to rap to it or, or whatever. And I think, you know, with drums or whatever, the melodic part, you know, it's just that thing that catches your spirit and you want to hear it over and over again, you know? And, and I love that. I love just finding samples and you discover so much music when you realize something sampled something else. It's like, oh, now you can find this song. And then you just opens up your ear to, you know, all different types of artists and music that you wouldn't have known about otherwise. Absolutely. That that ripple effect. I mean, that was so beautifully said, but that ripple effect of, and we'll see with the track, which uh, is, of course, Footsteps in the Dark by the Isley Brothers, but has been sampled so many times. All of these songs, arguably, I mean, at least in the way that we hear them, don't exist without the original, right? Like, it's it's unbelievable to think about how deep the ripple effect goes, and, and maybe even this podcast will then in, inspire somebody to take the sample... start really with like a, a couple notes that I have on the track. Uh, it was recorded in 1977, um, featured on the double, double platinum record. You don't see too many double platinum records anymore. Uh, go for plat. your guns. That's <laughs> huge. Um, I, dude, I always forget like the Isley Brothers. So I played in a wedding band in New York that was like, you know, I loved playing in that wedding band for a bit, but it was also part of the reason why I left New York. And we played Shout all the time, which I always yeah. forget. It's like, oh, yeah, that's the Isley Brothers. Yeah, they go but back they... from like the 50s all the way through. It's yep. crazy how long they've <laughs> they've been relevant. A cool note about that and a little bit of synergy is that we each have selected a song from the last three decades. Um, so that that's just a point I was going to say for later, but that's really cool. Like how, how far this band has spanned decades in their own career and then their samples and tracks going on. Um, Ernie Isley apparently played both the guitar and the drum parts. Thought that was pretty cool. I think it was first sampled uh, just when I was looking things up by Compton's Most Wanted on the track Can I Kill It. Um, also, I thought about doing this track uh, Slum Village's Call Me featuring Dwelle. So Justin Bieber also sampled this track. Okay. So. <laughs> You know, Charles, I want to get your perspective as a drummer. Simple drum groove, but why Like, why does it work so well? Why is it used so often? It's just that feeling, you know? It's that swing, it's that laid-back, you know, bounce, I think, you know, because mm -hmm. it, it has the same kind of feeling as a lot of breakbeats, but it's played way yep. slower. So I think especially for rappers, it's like, you know, you can manipulate it, speed it up, slow it down, but just the feeling of that groove, is just so you know it's just so warm and good like it's mm -hmm. it's easy to to write over it's easy you know to kind of take your time with where you know it's not it's not really aggressive you know so it's like 
you can really take your time and tell the story over it. Definitely. And I think like harmonically, it also lends to that. There's just two chords. Basically, you've got, you know, E sus add nine, a very floaty kind of change uh, going to F sharp minor um, and just kind of like very airy. That guitar lick too, it's not, it's not too much. It's like just the right amount of a lick. Um, I think there, there's got to be obviously tons of chorus or phaser on it, which I am such a sucker for, like a really wet sounding guitar. Swiss, uh, from the MC's perspective, when you hear that groove and you hear that that track, did the juices get flowing a little bit? Do you see yourself like, oh, yeah, I could do something on this track? Well, first off, I'm offended you didn't ask for my opinion as a drummer because I did play, <laughs> I did play, in, I did play the drums in my school band from fifth to tenth grade. So you know, but <laughs> but um. Because I think like emceeing and, and drumming, you know, they're very much, yeah. you know, close, close cousins and very important to have together. And I just think like the pocket of the drums, it's simple, but it's like a pocket that helps you really lock in. Mm -hmm. um, and I think mm -hmm. even, you know, you hear sometimes the drums have been sampled where it's at the speed it is. And sometimes it's even fast. It's even faster, whether it's 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 sped up or slowed down. It's always got like a pocket. That's really great. So I think like me, myself, I tend to not rap on like super slow, like as slow as the natural track, mm -hmm. but it's just got a pocket that, you know, you change the speed a little bit, it's still there. And I think that's what like makes it a great thing to want to rap over and lock in and be sampled over and over again. You know, I, I'm just going to get right out and say it. I picked Thundercats, them changes. I mean, it was pretty easy for me to make the selection. <laughs> Them changes. I'm gonna assume you've heard this track many a time yes. before, but I'd still love. What were your first impressions when you heard this track? So it just it just felt good. Um, yeah, without even like having to think so deep about like, oh, you know, is it like uh, impressive musically or anything? It just like it just felt good. <laughs> you didn't need to think about it. It's just like, oh, that's one. You know, you could play probably four or five times in a row and it would be fine if you accidentally had it on repeat, you know? <laughs> so speaking of that, I, I you mentioned four or five times. So this song came out 2015 in the summer. I was a massive Thundercat fan. I was listening to Golden Age of Apocalypse and then Apocalypse. Um, and then, you know, he comes out with this EP, The Beyond, Where the Giants Roam, which is where this track first appears. And then, you know, of course, it comes out on Drunk a couple of years later. In the summer of 2015, was like, I... I loved living in New York. I loved living in New York a lot because of people like you guys, where I was able to be very creative, make awesome music, and play with people I really admired. But it, it kind of run its course for me a little bit, and I was ready to move to Los Angeles. And this song played 10 times a day on that drive. I swear to God, it was <laughs> yeah. so much. A few months after living in LA, Thundercat was playing at the Hollywood Bowl opening for Flying Lotus. And he plays this track. And not only does he play this track, but he brings Michael McDonald up to play keys no. on it. And I was just like, oh, my God. It's funny, though. Like, I, it, it was only, I didn't realize that the, initially when I heard the, the song, that those drums were the footsteps in the dark sample. 
because just everything else that's happening, you know, I, I, I was listening to that, like the bass and all the keys and stuff. So I never really thought like, wait, those drums are sampled, you know, and, mm. you know, you realize and you're like, oh, yeah, of course they're sampled. One thing I will say about about this song, though, is that uh, one of my favorite versions that's not Thundercat is Ariana Grande. She covers this song a lot. The first thing you're hearing after sample is three basses at once. It's a wall of sound, a bass. You have the bass chords um, on his trusty Ibanez six-string. I've always felt bass chords can draw you in as a listener a little bit because it's a little bit of like, well, what it, what is that? It's not, it kind of sounds like a guitar, but not quite. Um, but it's a very maple um, accentuated guitar. Like the, it's pure maple, the fretboard <laughs> and the body. So it's a very bright sound uh, through those chords. He also has the, the Mografoger though on, on those deeper parts. So there's one part that's simply playing more of a synthier, subbier line that's just playing the roots. And there's one playing more of that funky, like, root octave kind of thing that also has the Mografoger. That pedal, I think, has so much to do with his sound and his identity as a, as a musician. You know, anybody playing an instrument or, or really, you know, anything, like if, if you're an MC or vocalist or whatever, experimenting with different effects, I think you play in such a different way. I know when I throw the octave pedal on my bass, I play in such a different way and approach the instrument so differently. So, Well, one thing I'll say is that I love, like Thundercat, for some reason, he knows how to make a lot of busy stuff sound cohesive, like three bass parts. Yep. And, you know, he, because I remember I first heard Thundercat on Flying Lotus's Cosmogramma record, which is in my top 10 albums of all time. And I just remember me and my, my homeboys, Lucky Duma, a great bass player, we were at we were in college and we went into this this practice room, this ensemble room, and this is when people were still buying CDs. That sounds so old now, but you know, we got the C D <laughs> and in the rooms they had like these C D players with these giant speakers. And so we played it and we just like lost our minds because we didn't I don't even know if we had heard a single yeah. yet. So we didn't know what to expect and then we just hear all this bass shredding. <laughs> And then, of course, you know, I can't help but mention his contributions to one of my favorite. If I, I don't know if I can call this my favorite hip hop record of all time, but definitely of the last decade to Pimp, Pimp Butterfly. Butterfly. Yep. The fact that he was on that and just not to get too far off, but that record was like the culmination of so many things because I was in New York like you as well. And I was just like, man, mm-hmm. it's the L.A. beat scene and Thundercat and all those people linked up with TDE and Kendrick and all those they make the craziest yeah. record possible. And then it happened. And I was just like, thank you, universe. <laughs> I, you mentioned his, his trajectory. It's just so cool to see him go from, you know, more of a sideman in Suicidal Tendencies, playing with Erica Badu, to then, oh, yeah. you know, linking up with Flying Lotus. I, I think the story goes that just more than enough people told Lotus that like, yo, there's this bass player that loves anime just as much as you. And you got, <laughs> you got to link up with this dude. There's been plenty of bass players that sing and play bass. But the thing that's, that's so unbelievable about Thundercat is that you can picture him playing his songs and singing his songs with just him and his bass, like total singer-songwriter style. They stand on their own. The way he plays the bass is just so supportive to himself. And then the way the trio fills that in is unbelievable as well. But like, I'm definitely jealous of his ability to just like, you know, I could play a track on my own, um, which is pretty rare for bass players. Again, it's like when I talk about, you know, the song being 
less impressive and just more feel good? Like, do you hear this mm -hmm. song and, and say, Thundercat is the, you know, most impressive singer. Like he's got a beautiful, gorgeous singing voice. Like you, you won't say that. You know, it does what it's supposed to for the track. And also it brings like a character. Like you don't necessarily feel like if there was somebody who was a technically better singer, it would actually even be a better song necessarily. It's like you might hear somebody that's technically better singer sing it and be like, no, nah, I need to hear Thundercat sing it. Hey guys, it's me, Mejia. Sorry to interrupt, but I want to let our listeners know if they thought the last couple minutes were particularly interesting, or if they found them kind of confusing, they should check out Soundfly's premium course, The Art of Hip-Hop Production. By some measures, hip-hop is now the most popular genre of music in the world. Over the past 40 years, it developed from a back-to-school party in the Bronx to a billion-dollar industry. The Art of Hip-Hop Production will help you draw on that legacy to become a more confident producer and beatmaker. You'll learn about writing beats and bass lines, creative sampling, arranging, songwriting, mixing, and many more elements with a specific eye to hip-hop and its subgenres. Whether you decide to go through things on your own using Soundfly's content subscription, or choose to sign up to work with your very own mentor during an intense and highly personalized one-on-one -on -one session, you'll be encouraged to put your skills to work, even while you're honing them. And hey, if hip-hop production's not your thing, that's okay. We have lots of other courses, as well as a whole team of expert mentors covering a massive variety of topics. Everything from vocal production, to arranging for strings, to DIY touring. And as a thank you to our listeners, Soundfly is offering 20% off any monthly or annual subscription to our incredible course content. Just enter the code THEMES at checkout. Take a big step toward reaching your musical goals by visiting soundfly.com today. I wanted to play a clip for you guys. So this has to do certainly with the collaboration, another brain feeder artist collaborating on this track, Kamase Washington, playing saxophone at the end of the bridge. My one knock on this tune is he starts to rip into a solo at the end of the track as it fades out, which is such a bummer because I'm like, I want to hear that. I want to hear that portion. That's how you do it. That's the best <laughs> leave part. Leave him wanting more. Leave the jazz at the end. <laughs> That's true. You get a taste of it on the bridge. The other thing so to mention here is, you know, he sings the first verse in his register and then he goes up to that classic thundercat falsetto here coming out of the bridge and just lush harmonies yeah, that's my, this so is my favorite different. part like, yeah I got to knock out the, um, just the harmony of this tune real quick. Mm. Um, the verse, uh, we're kind of definitely an E flat minor though. The, the way that it changes her voice, very Isley brothers, that's like, there's some sus chords. It's got a little bit of a flavor of maybe what you might find in like a Steely Dan or like a Michael McDonald, which we might call yacht rock stuff now, which Thundercats made his own thing here out of that. You know, the first chords just B major nine to E flat add nine over G. So some, some kind of modal borrowing there. 
and then A flat minor nine, we got the four minor chord there, then D flat add nine over F, that same kind of voicing, that very airy thing, and, and then you end on E flat sus, but the, the melody does borrow from E flat minor pentatonic. So you have, I always like to think of this as being grounded as in E flat minor, but then the bridge is just in the relative major, G flat major, and kind of floats through that, a couple two fives. That stuck out to me. You said those changes like three times while you were explaining it. And it's like, yeah. oh, that's how we came up with this, <laughs> with this song. <laughs> I have one note, one note about the harmony, yeah. kind of how you mentioned that it's all rooted melodically in E flat minor. That is definitely like a technique that I would say you could find through like the gambit of black music, especially in the 20th century. You know, as things progress more harmonically with people using a lot more chords, that there's still always like a root key and a pentatonic scale that can work over all the chords. Like a lot of singers, of course, especially if you're coming out of like an R&B or gospel tradition, when you riff, you're going to use a pentatonic scale. So it's like, no matter how dense the harmony is, you still kind of want them to have enough like common notes so that you can sing through them without, you know, sounding bad enjoying listening to you guys talk about like really the the theory of it in the notes i know i have thought about it very soon like i'm going to start diving in and trying to teach myself with help from some of my friends um at least learning some of the basics of playing the keys and so it's very interesting to nice, like, hear man. you talk about that because my music theory is limited to like i said i played the drums in middle school and high school but notes and chords don't don't come and play with that well, <laughs> <laughs> You know, Soundfly has a free course on music theory for producers. You know, check that out. Plug, plug, plug. I didn't even need to do the plug there. Charles got it in, man. Thank you. Um, Jay Swiss, dude, you're the first one to pick a song from this artist. I am so excited to talk about this with you. Uh, why don't we start by listening to the intro of the track and then you, you get us into it, man. You ready? Yep. Let me just first off start by saying that James Yancey, a.k.a. J. Dilla, a.k.a. J.D., J.D. Troy I to the L.L.A., I feel like he's one of the like top five, ten, if you want to be, you know, more careful, um, genius artist in any genre in any period of time ever. I'm glad you went beyond producer there too. Yeah, just just totally any true. any artist, yeah. just any genre. Now, 1700s talking Beethoven, everybody in <laughs> yeah. between. Um, man, this track is great too, and I'm glad you you, you let some of the the rap play too because. He's kind of like an underrated MC as well. Not that like his his lyrical content is necessarily so crazy, but he's just got an understanding of feel that it translates. I think the same thing that makes him a great producer and able to sample things in ways that other people won't, but feel so good. It's the same thing that makes him able to like find flows that only he could find. Um, so he's so he you know when he's rapping over his own production as well, he's like. He's up there as, as a great lyricist as well. Song just for for people who don't know fully like this was on this is the last song on the Shining album, um, which came out August two thousand six, which was like six months after he passed. So you're talking about this song being 
the last song on an album that was mostly done while he was alive and then he passed away when it was, you know, about three quarters of the way completed. So this is really like his swan song. His like, you know, I'm going away, I'm going to the other side. And then this is like, you listen to that album and this is the last song that takes you out. And it's also one of, I think, just two songs on the album where he's the only producer, the only voice you hear on it. There's nobody featured, there's no co-producer. So it's really like, this is what Jay Dilla had to say completely on his own on the last song as he goes away. So mm-hmm. it's really impactful, um, you know, in, in that respect, I feel too, when you're listening to it. It's like, without him knowing, it's kind of him saying, you know, like, goodbye. I just think it's really powerful. And I think like even the sample and like the melodies and the harmonies, especially like going out when it's just the instrumental, man, it really, it hits you that way. It gives you that emotion. Like, man, you know, he's gone, you know, and this is the last thing he gave us with. I came into hip hop through the roundabout, like getting into jazz and studying it in school. And I then finally got hit. Like somebody's like, oh, you like Robert Glasper and like where jazz and hip hop intersecting? You got to check out Dilla. And I went out and bought this and I bought Jay Stay Paid on the same day. Mm. And I remember I remember putting this record on and then all of a sudden Busta Rhymes is like yelling at me (laughs) at the beginning of the record. I'm like, I am in, man. What is what's going on? But then you hear, you know, you hear um, Love Jones. I remember that track. You mentioned 70, it was like three quarters done. Kareem Riggins kind of putting the production uh, over the yeah. finish line on this record is incredible. Um, I, I got to ask you guys, if you're going to recommend a track or a record for somebody that maybe is not familiar with the work of Dilla, where would you recommend somebody start? Vintage Volume 2. I think like that's like a great place to start. It's fine. When I think about like the genius of um, Jay Dilla though, Mm -hmm. there's like one song that's like a lesser known song in his catalog, I would say. But I, for me, like exhibits his genius, like the best of anything. And you need to, well, you need to listen to another song first to get it. But it's um, his cover of Think Twice by Donald Byrd. Oh yeah. That's him Mm -hmm. and Dwelle. Because the first time I heard that, I, I was familiar with the Donald Byrd song. It's like, if you listen to that first and get familiar, and then listen to Think Twice, when people think of producers that sample, a lot of times they get a knockout. They're not real musicians. They're just taking you know, whatever and looping it and all that to yeah. somebody else, yeah. somebody else's art. This is so dope because like, it's not a sample, but it's like the perfect like reimagination of Donald Byrd's Think Twice in a mm-hmm. hip hop, you know, soul type of setting. I have a funny story with that. I actually redid the Jay Dilla version of Think Twice, not knowing that it was a reimagining of the Donald Byrd song. So on my the first <laughs> on the first Love Experiment album that doesn't exist on the internet anymore, we did uh, our reimagining of Think Twice of Dilla's version of Think Twice, which I think is still on SoundCloud. So it's still, you can probably still find it. Yeah, 
you know, the argument of like, well, you're just sampling. It's not real art. Dude, listen to, listen to just about anything that Dill has done. And that argument yeah, dies yeah, yeah, on yeah. arrival like oh, immediately. Yeah. Like the, the flip on players, he takes that, that song Claire from the singers Claire, unlimited. Yeah. He uses the vocals as like to, for the entire harmony. As a bass player, I have to mention Bilal's uh, Reminisce. Oh, God. I, it's funny. Still, when I think of that song, I think of, of you, Carter, because I remember how much you <laughs> love that song. <laughs> I, not, a, not a rehearsal went by where I wouldn't play that line for like some, some point. Won't Do is nostalgic for a couple reasons. Obviously, just because the song itself and like we talked about the, the connection with it being, you know, right after he passed and coming out of everything. But like I alluded to, like talking about one of the other Jay Dilla songs you mentioned that I said I had rapped over. But like in my life, um, especially the first several years of my recording life, like I've recorded over like 15 different and put out like freestyles, quote unquote, over like 15 to 20 different Jay Dilla beats and songs. Um, and I actually, I did that. I dropped in 2011, like a tribute EP called This One Is For Dilla. And so the last, it was seven tracks. And the last one on that was Won't Do. As, as the people who put together The Shining realized, it was like a great kind of outro to kind of go out on. I want you. You need the MC, that's me. And nowadays rap needs JD. Just me your dude. Also incredible how much he as a producer that sampled other musicians has had such an impact on musicians. And you hear it like so many musicians of a, uh, under a certain age, like especially drummers, but any, any type of musician are so impacted in their playing when, you know, being in the club jamming or, you know, um, or recreating their own things that he's had an influence on musicians is so dope. Again, when you talk about the point where people are like, oh, you know, producers are just taking other, you know, other musicians and, and their art and just, you know, using it for their own thing. The fact that he could say, no, like I'm so much of an artist that I'm going to have the other people that you claim to be are the quote unquote real musicians. They're going to be following and impacted by me is is so is so dope and a credit to what he you know was able to do with his time on this earth i just i gotta say one more point because you brought it up carter and i think it's important as a psa about trying to play the jay dilla groove i would say like my favorite drummers who play that way quest love mostly because he was like right there with mm -hmm. dilla doing a lot of stuff kareem Mergens, of course because he was right there producing mm -hmm. with dilla and Chris Day, you know, is like the modern proponent of that style. But what people, I think, what drummers get wrong about it is exactly what you said, that it's just sloppy and that it's not, like, supposed to still hit hard and have parts that are, like, really in time. Like, the snare is always on two and four, and what you're displacing is the hi-hat and the kick. But the snare is always on two and four. Like, something has to always lock in. And when I analyze most of Dillard's drums, the snares are usually, like, pretty consistent. But it's the way he moves the kick and the hi-hats around that makes the snare sound displaced. You never can't nod your head to a dilla beat because there's always something that's consistent and it's usually the snare. So for you know, you it's can't hard to avoid beat. breaking your neck sometimes oh, listening course, to a dilla beat. Like. You know, just so PSA for the drummers: if you want to play a dilla beat, learn how to play hip hop beats. Just yeah. drum breaks and all those things first. Waking up in the morning, gotta thank God. I don't know 
but today seems kind of odd. No barking from the dog, no small. And mama cooked the breakfast. Charles, you want to take us in, tell folks what we're listening to? Yeah, this is Ice Cube. You know, this is Ice Cube. It was a good day. And this song, like, in this time, this came out in 1992. Mm-hmm. And Ice Cube was on top of the world. He had split from NWA, which was wildly successful. Mm-hmm. And he was forming his own lane as a solo artist. I was only two years old, so I didn't, you know, I wasn't, I didn't, this didn't hit me in my heyday. But I kind of caught on as I got older because I was introduced to Ice Cube really through the movie Friday. And that was like mm-hmm. such a, a big cultural experience for me as a kid. Also, just to give a quick note, the song was produced by DJ Pooh who produced mm-hmm. a lot, a lot of records for those West Coast um, artists mm-hmm. back in the early 90s and mid 90s. This song to me, what was so great about it was that it kind of was a shift in the gangster rap kind of vibe. It was like a less aggressive sound, but still like just smooth and, and funky. And I think that's kind of, now we know it as G-Funk, but in the early NWA days, that sound was, their sound was way more abrasive. I haven't lived in LA, but being to LA a few times, like it's the perfect just riding around in your car, chilling, you know, just <laughs> it, you know, just having a good day. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, and that that's what makes it so good because the images around that time, especially even like by the time I heard it, which might have been when I was like eight or nine, like the images just around rap and all that was just violence, gangs, destructive things. So the idea that you could actually have a good day without any violence or any mayhem was just like a rapper rapping about that. It just didn't seem like a likely topic. I think as I got older and really understood the song, it was like, yeah, he's describing all these things that didn't happen to him that could have happened, <laughs> but didn't. You know? <laughs> and that's like every, that's like everyone's day when you, when you're growing up like a black male in America, it's like, yeah, I'm just hope like the one of the first lines is like, you know, I'm just, you know, he's going out of his house and just hoping, you know, will he be alive to see the end of the day? Like, you know, that's a very harsh reality to hear. But when it's, the track is so smooth <laughs> and everything, yeah, he, he just kind of paints this picture. Like for me, it just basically says like, hey, this is the dichotomy of our life It's violent. We don't know what the situations are going to be, but, you know, we're chilling at the same time. You know, the idea of having a good day shouldn't seem so hard. It shouldn't seem like such a rare thing. But it's, I think what this also did, because there was a lot of controversy around NWA and all that, it, it humanized Ice Cube. And definitely that worked for him as he went on to become, you know, a giant movie star. Just like two makes this such like an important track. Is this just like a textbook example of what's like a fundamental part of emceeing, like storytelling? And, you know, it's not it's not full of a bunch of like crazy metaphors, but it's just perfect storytelling. It's relatable whether or not you could relate to living in a place where he's from or like where he's from or not. Um, and I think it was it might have been Talib Kweli that was talking about. I think they were big enough Slick Rick for maybe not getting, you know, as much of the props as he gets um, as like one of the you know greatest lyricists of all time. But saying that storytelling can be so hard, like. Even as somebody who is an MC, it can be very hard to tell a story, make it rhyme, and it not feel forced or corny. And so the fact that like he was able to do it, it's such a hit, it's able to resonate so much. I might even say that 
It's possible that more people in the world know about this song than the Jay Dilla one and even the Isley Brothers original. It's possible because yeah. it just relates for so many people. I know there's people in so many different countries who don't speak English, but they, they know this song. One thing I would definitely say is that, you know, this record did go gold. <laughs> it, it, you know, it was very, it is very popular. Uh, it's It's been used in a lot of, you know, it's been used a lot of TV shows, movies, all that type of thing. So it's definitely made it round throughout the generations. And, you know, I guess my main thing, because all of the little clips that I that I selected were basically just lyrical points where I think like, hey, this is, you know, pretty dope that he's making this, this uh, thought. He says that line about, you know, not knowing if he's going to make it to the end of the day, like if he's going to survive. But then he's like, you know, I got this low rider, <laughs> you know, and I can, I can, I can make it drop. That's like when I was a kid, all I wanted was a car with hydraulics. Like that's all I had wanted. <laughs> <laughs> I still want that, but like that to me was the coolest thing. I gotta go cause I got me a drop top, and if I hit the switch, I can make the ass drop. Had to stop at a red light, looking in my mirror, not a jacker in sight, and everything is all right. I got a beat from Kim, and she could do it all night. All oh, that the homies, and I'm asking y'all, which part are y'all playing basketball? Yeah, just casually got a triple double <laughs> last time we played. Like, that's so awesome. <laughs> I will, the one bone to pick I have, he goes to Fat Burger at the end of his night. You got to go to In N Out, dude, if you're in LA. That's, that's, yeah, this the is be, to but get. this is before In N Out, I think. <laughs> is, no? it? Oh, is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is way before. Maybe it is. Then I'm totally Actually, way off. <laughs> I, I, I did go to Fat Burger. I'm trying to remember when I was in LA. I went to Fat Burger because of this song. Oh. Um, it wasn't my first time in LA, but it was like my first time in LA, in LA and I realized I was nearby Fat Burger. So it was like, oh, yeah. I got to do it because of this song. It was underwhelming. It was. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they get a lot of business. They get a lot of business because of that song. But yeah. Saw the police and they roll right past me. No flexing. Didn't even look in a brother's direction as I ran the intersection. With the show like that, that one, you know, it kind of speaks to what I said earlier. But like, if you're riding around in a car and you're a black man, you know, it's like there's this constant like, where are the cops? You know, you mm -hmm. always have your eye out for them. You're always looking through. So that, you know, that line, which could seem like really throwaway, it's like a really essential thing. Like, oh, I'm, I'm just enjoying my day. And hey, the cops not even bothering me. Like, that's a that's a, a good thing. And I, I think a lot of people who don't live that experience take that for granted. Like, really, yeah. just like all he's describing is waking up, eating breakfast, gonna you know link up with his homies play some basketball you know chill out for a little bit meet up with a woman you know do their thing go get some food and go home you know that's like it there's not nothing crazy but it's like because there's so much that could happen and so much that could go wrong um you know these little points are very like if you miss them and you don't really understand how deep that that line is you know like yeah okay they're looking right past you and if you actually watch the video, it's like if everything flips on his head because at the very last part right. of the video, he's just yeah. surrounded by cops. You know, it's like uh... just like listening. Yes, like what makes this song so beautiful is I know you can't see me, but like every time you play a clip, like I'm singing along, and then every time yeah. it goes off, like I keep singing because <laughs> it's just like <laughs> it's so it's so great. Like you just want to sing along with it if you know it, and it's just like to even to bring it full circle. Just thinking of this song, like I have a. 
a great memory from like la- it was last summer at the beach with a friend and like we're walking and like somebody was playing a um they were playing footsteps in the dark on like a boombox or something. maybe not a boombox a speaker <laughs> you know this is still this is like 2019 so probably not a boombox but um they were playing footsteps in the dark and you know we started singing so you spent like a minute minute and a half singing to footsteps in the dark until it went off and we kind of walked out of earshot of the song and then just went straight into and then without hearing the song just rap like a little more than half of it was a good day just <laughs> off the top of the head you know together and it was like such you know memorable fun moment going from both yeah. songs you know one song that's decades old well one song is a couple more decades older than the other one um and yeah it's just it's just a beautiful example of music what it could do um and just two classic songs yeah i got it i pointed out at the top but it's just so amazing to see too like Charles, this, this track from the early 90s, uh, Swiss, you picked one from the mid-2000s and mine from the mid-2010s. So that's three decades of music because of this one sample. Unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. Um, we could all only hope, I think, to make that big of an impact. Exactly. The way I knew this song is because, like, my dad, we'd be driving home sometimes and, you know, I'd, he'd ask me about my day and I'd ask him about his day. And he, you know, he just casually say like, yeah, you know, today was a good day. I didn't even have to use my AK. You know, I grew up, I grew up in New Orleans. So even yeah. as a kid, I knew what an AK referenced. I knew it, you know, there's still referencing an assault rifle. And no matter who you are in New Orleans, like there's just the idea that like anyone possibly has a gun. So it just like, it's just this funny thing. Cause my dad is like the most mild manner, just calm guy he's a psychologist you know <laughs> but when he would say that it, it was just so funny to me because you know a place like new orleans like you know ne- like you know preachers carry guns so you never know when you might have to just mm. protect oh, your man. neck so it was just always this funny joke between me and him today i didn't even have to use my ak i gotta say it was a good day The idea of like the legality side of sampling and there not being any like there's no compulsory rate for sampling like there's there for mechanical licenses i think it's like nine cents a track under five minutes or something like that but for sampling i guess you're technically supposed to negotiate a rate with the artist and obviously that varies greatly depending on the popularity of the song i think I think it is fair, you know, obviously that that the original creators of of the music that's being sampled would want, you know, a would want a cut of what ultimately mm-hmm. gets made. I mean, even if you think about it being used as like an instrument, you know, it's almost like if as if they played on this song. So, you know, if somebody played on the song, they would want to be able to have a say on, you know, how they're going to get paid. If they're going to be nice enough to say, you know, you can use it for free, just give me some credit, whatever mm-hmm. the situation is is going to be. Um, I know I definitely like did more, so more, a little bit more sampling earlier in my career. Um, lately, you know, I've been blessed to like work with a lot of great, um, musicians, um, you know, that, that know how to play things. So stuff that even might, you might even think it's sample, but it's not because it's just, you know, people playing. So, um, it's been less of something to deal with these days. Well, we definitely cover that in the art of hip hop production. (laughs) The, the course we have on Soundfly, we, we were blessed um we were blessed to have um Deborah Man- Manis, I think her last name, from DMG clearances and they handle like the top uh like sample clearances for like Jay Z, Eminem, all those people. 
and she gives a lot of a lot of great advice about you know all these topics related to sample clearance um it creates headaches of course to get your samples cleared but you know there's just a sound that you can't match however for for those of us who are not producing for drake necessarily and you know <laughs> who are in different realms you know splice is great and one thing i would say is great about spice is that it's created a lot of opportunities for music producers and musicians to make money because now you mm-hmm. can basically sell your sounds to people to make you know their own music with and of course people say well what if they make you know they just take one of my melodies put some drums and then make a hit record okay but then people are going to know that's your melody you know people find yep. out you know so to clarify, Spice is royalty free. So anyone uses your sample, they don't owe you anything if a song goes gold or platinum. But what I've seen is that a lot of producers whose samples come from Spice and end up on big records, those producers reach out to the people who made those samples and usually it creates connections and bigger opportunities. So, you know, my little plug is that Spice is amazing, but also it's been a great uh, thing for my band to, to, to get our sound out there. We have uh four sample packs out right now and we have another one dropping in september so probably by the time this airs you know it'll be on the way swiss you got a track that uh by the time people listen to this episode is out um have new single from myself and michael lenhart um it's the second single we put out and michael lenhart is a credible uh trumpet player mm-hmm. arranger producer um won grammys kind of plays with the mic I think he serves like musical director for live stuff with Steely Dan at this point. And then nice. he's worked with, you know, hip hop artists like Q-Tip, um, Wu-Tang and all and everything. And we were connected first um, because he has a orchestra that he, you know, leads, arranges, writes the music for that has a residency at Jazz Standard out here in New York City. Actually, the song that just dropped on the money is the first song that we recorded. It's got the full orchestra on it. So the full mm-hmm. orchestra feel, hip hop orchestra. Um, but it's the first like original music, you know, song that we dropped. So it's special to me too, because it's in tribute to my late um, maternal grandparents um, who both passed within like around the last year and a half. And I love it because it's definitely, it's, it's a high energy song and it feels mm-hmm. a lot more like a celebration of them than, you know, a sad song. So that's On The Money. Um, it's out right now. It's Michael Lennard and Jay Swiss. And it's part of a EP, a project that is a collaborative project with him doing the production and myself doing all the rhymes. We have a, a great single called Blackout that came out first. Um, and yeah, this the, the project is, is so dope. Like I said, it's, it's got the hip hop elements. It's got the strings and stuff going on on, on, multiple, on multiple songs, even songs that don't have the full orchestra and horns and everything. There's, there's some of the string arrangements in there too. Um, has some other great musicians on it, like um, guitarist Bill Frizzell. He's actually oh. playing a little bit on, um, on Blackout. Charles, is there anything you want to leave people with? Any any new music or or anything? I mean, we talked about the the sample packs, but yeah, anything well, else you just want to share? I'm gonna tease it because it won't be out uh, by the time this podcast is. But you know, I do have a band it's called The Love Experiment, and we have a new mm-hmm. record in the process. And Jay Swiss is on one of yes. the tracks of this record. We have a new yeah. record called Velvet, and it's gonna be out this fall, God willing. Um, so I feel like I can <laughs> almost hear it based on the title like i can just and it feels so appropriate man i'm so excited now new new love experiment yeah, it's been a while but yeah uh, new man. love experiment with jay swiss on there and hopefully a lot more music but that's the the next big project that's coming up 
That's going to do it for this episode of Themes and Variation. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you to our guests, Jay Swiss and Charles. They really brought it for this episode. We want to know what songs you love that use the footsteps in the dark sample, or even just some songs that use the same sample. So there's a link in our show notes to a Spotify community playlist. Feel free to add your tracks there. We also have a free podcast companion course over on soundfly.com filled with tons of additional lessons, creative activities, and more info for the musically inclined. Be sure to keep your eyes and ears out for that new love experiment record, Velvet, out by the end of the year. And as a very special treat for our listeners, we're going to give you a little taste now of the new J-Swiss and Michael Leinart track, On The Money. It's available everywhere that you stream or purchase music, so be sure to go check it out. We'll be back in two weeks with a new episode and a new theme. used to say you're on the money so i'ma keep my flow on the money when she passed what i heard on the money when i passed put my face on the money a hundred dollar bill i know couldn't bring her back for a second but some way maybe i could bring her back on the record no ig tributes this is better because you know once you put it on wax then it's forever you just like the brightest star and i'll see you when i see the moon was just there in the living room i'll see you soon one day with you i have real love the unconditional now with spiritual real love so I guess now I got me an angel Taking me through the danger Easing up all the anguish Knowing where she was going Made it all near painless In the place where she could oversee the changes I can't let the obstacle create worry For me, cause I got a queen out there working For me, shooting empty rooms I am not alone in the time on the microphone When I'm not at home Makes it comforting in life When the chaos is strife Keeps you way up at night Not a day off the fight So not for sale, you could lay off the price When Nana out there, I can't stay out the light so look what you did, the fam shining. I'm glad when you pass, was more laughs than crying. I'm glad from you to mom, I can see who I am. That's a legacy I never see dying. Uh. Outside of my head And just remember what my grandma said Man, I'm on the money It's more than just cheese and bread As I remember what my grandma said Man, I'm on the money Keep doubt out of my head And just remember what my grandma said Man, I'm on the money It's more than just cheese and bread As I remember what my grandma said